You know what time it is. It's time for your midweek college football breakdown with your hosts, Brandon Stevens and Dalton Miller. Hello and welcome to the midweek college football breakdown. I am Brandon Stevens here with my co-host Dalton Miller. Dalton, some really good New Year's Six Bowls games last week and then two very uneventful semifinal games. Am I, am I missing something here, or is that what you saw too? No, it's absolutely what I saw. I mean, geez, those those final four games were boring. One was kind of as we expected it to be. The other I don't think was. But, yeah, the New Year's Six games, they were a lot of fun, very competitive, and I had I, had, I enjoyed watching those football games. Even with some of the opt-outs, I still really enjoyed those games. I, I did as well. I did as well. And – not to, you know, push anything, but I still really loved our what our Sooners did mm. in the Alamo Bowl. Absolutely. I know we I know we already talked about that, but to me, so far that was the most exciting bowl game, just because of what was going on for our stake. But there were some really good New Year's Six bowl games that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But before we do that. We're going to go to your favorite segment, and we're going to hit on things that piss Brandon off. And it's not just an extreme pissed off subject, but it's a pissed off because something's got to be done subject. Something has to be done with the transfer portal and the NIL, in my opinion. I feel like the transfer portal and the NIL is basically, from this point forward, going to make every kid, every player for every team, a free agent after every season. Because there's no rules in place to limit the amount of of times you can enter the transfer portal or anything like that. I feel like all these kids are going to basically look at themselves as free agents every year. And that bothers me, Dalton. That really bothers me. I know we've had some conversations about this, and you're not a fan of it either, and we we got to figure out something. You know, the only thing I can figure out that they could really do, you're not going to be able to limit your allowing NIL money in now. You're not going to be able to limit really the amount of money or the amount of exposure to businessmen slash donors slash whatever that these kids can get. But what I think will, in my opinion, my thought process, what I think could help it calm down a little bit is I think if the NCAA came out and said, look, you sign a four-year contract, you can have one transfer portal entrance during that four years. If you complete your four-year scholarship, at that point, if you have a fifth year of eligibility based on injury, based on red shirt, based on whatever, you can transfer for that final year somewhere else, allows this to only happen 
twice and really after the first time you fulfilled your four-year scholarship. How do you feel about that? Do you feel there's a different way that it can be handled that we can kind of change things up a little bit to calm this down a little bit? What are your thoughts? No, I, I like that idea. And the more I think about that idea, it's really not any different from how it kind of used to be without, without NIL. Right. You get somewhere and unless you got a release, if you transferred somewhere, you had to sit a year. Yeah. But there are only certain circumstances where you could get a full release being a graduate year or a coaching, a coach leaves and you've signed a letter of intent to play for them. Um, and I think that you can implement some of that and make it the same, kind of like you're talking about. You get you get one opportunity to transfer somewhere else to chase that money if you want to look and see what your options are out there to make more money. But I mean, you said it. It's it's a word that I hate in college sports right now is free agency because that's what it's heading to. I mean, you can every single year, if you want to, you can just test the waters and see where can you go make more money. Doesn't mean you're leaving because you can no. come back off the transfer portal. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're really seeing it a lot at OU right now with Caleb Williams entering the transfer portal. Um, you know, we've had some other players kind of follow suit with him. Mario Williams entered the transfer portal to follow Caleb Williams' suit. Mario Williams and Caleb Williams, I feel like, are kind of tied at the hip. I feel like wherever Caleb Williams goes, Mario Williams is going to go as well. Um, they've known each other for a long time. So I, I feel like that's kind of going to happen no matter. They're kind of a package deal, I feel like. Um, but, you know, you have Dylan Gabriel, who was at UCF with Jeff Levy, who is now the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, who had just a couple of weeks ago entered the transfer portal and said he was going to UCLA. Well, as soon as Caleb entered the transfer portal – we're talking three, four, five hours later. Dylan Gabriel says he's coming to Oklahoma. And so I kind of feel like the writing's on the wall for Caleb. And l- let, me, let me put this out there. I don't have a problem with what Caleb Williams has done. Do I wish he would have said something earlier on? Yeah, I do. I wish he would have said something earlier on, but man, even it all the way through the last play of the Alamo bowl, right? That kid balled out for us every chance he got Dalton. He gave his all wasn't always perfect. Wasn't always great. We struggled in some of those games, right? Wasn't always good, but he gave his all. And you and I were even talking during the Alamo Bowl and just the leadership that he was showing on the field gave us a really good feeling at that point. Like, okay, maybe he is coming back. Maybe he's not going to enter the transfer portal. That being said, he might still, but I'm probably going to get some flack for this, but this is what I'm going to say. If he enters the transfer portal, that to me means he's not a hundred percent a sooner. He's not a hundred percent sold on being here. He's not a hundred percent sold on this coaching staff, on his teammates, on this university, whatever it is. He's not a hundred percent a sooner 
or he'd be like, no, I'm a sooner. I'm staying here. This is what I'm doing. Right. Do we want that type of player in our program at this point? If you feel like he's going to want to be a quote unquote free agent after every season, do you want him? I say all that to say, if he came back, I wouldn't be mad, but I don't know about that character that I've always felt like he was such a character guy. We've never heard anything about off the field issues with him. He's we've never heard anything about locker room issues or sideline issues. He's been a stand-up guy, but if he's just looking for a quick payday before he makes it to the NFL and he's going to, for lack of better words, whore himself out after every season to see where he can get the best money at, is that the kind of person we want here? Because he's always going to be looking over his shoulder saying, man, you know, if I'd have gone to Atlanta, I could be making a lot more money in Georgia right now. Right? Well, I mean, what do you think? I don't disagree. I'm a all in or you're not in at all kind of guy. Yeah. And I, I don't disagree with you. And and people problem is is I people think that just like you said, you you, you don't want to hate Caleb or have hard feelings toward him because this is the system that allows him to do it. And it's within, it's within the rules. And he he just watched a coach leave for more money who was here and probably told Caleb, like, eventually you're going to be the guy for me at OU. Go ahead. I, I saw a story today written by one of my least favorite sports writers in Oklahoma, Barry Trammell, mm-hmm. but written by Barry Trammell today that said, you know, he's only doing what he's been taught. Because OU is leaving the Big 12 for more money in the SEC. His head coach and idol and person he said he would walk on to play for without a scholarship left for more money to go to USC. What else is he supposed to know? Yeah. Well, then what also kind of caught me as a red flag was his, his father's comments saying, we want him to go where he can get NFL ready. So that tells me it's a payday, and it tells me they don't necessarily trust or think that Jeff Levy is a is a quarterback coach that can get him NFL ready, which confuses me because the dude took a, a nobody in Matt Corral yeah. and turned that Ole Miss offense into a more powerful offense in the SEC than OU has been the last three years in the Big 12. Yep. So to me – Caleb came to Oklahoma because of what Lincoln Riley sold him, not what the University of Oklahoma sold him. And well, and I mean, I, f- I feel like he's been very outspoken about that, though. I, I, you're right. That is that is correct. But he didn't come to OU because of OU. No. He came to OU because of Lincoln Riley. Right. And he said that from the very beginning, before he was ever on campus. And like you said, and we've talked about it, absolutely loved his leadership in Alamo Bowl. 100%. But who's to say he wasn't just being smart and learned from Spencer Rattler and well, said, learned I'm from leaving Spencer this Rattler place. And Lincoln Riley. I'm leaving this place. I need these college coaches and these universities to know that you're going to get a leader 
on the field from a true freshman. So I, I, yeah. I who's to say he, I mean, maybe that's just his character and personality. He's a gamer and he wants to play, but I think that there's part of that too, because his dad's comments made me think that they they talked about, Hey, this is how you need, this is how you need to be going into this game because we're going for the money. We're going for the best possible offer out there. Well, and, and to me, there's no doubt about that. Right. Um, What else is he supposed to do, though? It would the way the system is now. Mommy and daddy want their payday. Lord knows they put thousands and thousands of dollars into this kid's training and sure. all this kind of stuff. They want their payday. Caleb wants his payday. I don't feel like he. I don't. I don't feel like he's done anything wrong. And I, I'm not saying that's what you're saying. I don't feel like he's done anything wrong. I do feel like he could have come out and said something a little bit earlier and still said, look, I'm playing in this bowl game, but, you know, I'm probably going to enter the transfer portal after. I don't think he's done anything wrong. I just will be 100% shocked if he shock, if he tells the world – He's he's a sooner next year. But if if he does, how's he received? Oh, I'm I, like you said, I'm gonna love him. But let's be honest, because I'm a fan of the university. If Kevin Durant ever came back to Oklahoma City, open arms, come win Oklahoma City a title. No, I, I would. Fans would. I mean, I let's would. be real. <laughs> I'm I'm out I mean, on that dude. But I'm saying if. Now, we feel like we've got just as good of a, a possible situation in Brent Venables and company that it wouldn't be the same if Lincoln Riley decided he one day wanted to come back to Oklahoma, which would never happen. But it, I'm not – I don't think Caleb Williams is doing anything wrong, but it's to your point, are you all in? And you've, you've at this point, you've been able to have conversations with, with Brent Venables, with Jeff Levy. I'm, I guess I'm also confused – what is Oklahoma not offering? What can what kind of NIL money can you not get at the University of Oklahoma? Right. I mean, it. You know, I'll I'll say this, and this may piss off some Sooner fans or some Oklahomans, right? But you look at somewhere like a Georgia, or I've even heard an Ohio State thrown in there, or a USC. You look at all those places, right? Take Ohio State out of it, but look at a Georgia with Atlanta. Or they're talking about Joe Brady maybe being the next offensive coordinator at the University of Miami. Look at Miami. So let's look at those three. Let's look at Miami, Atlanta, and L.A. for U of M, Georgia, and USC. Those guys are just in such a bigger market business-wise. You know, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City area has all the oil and gas. I don't know how much those guys are going to be willing to put out, but you go to L.A. or Georgia or Miami, something like uh, There's a lot bigger commercial market there than there is in Norman, Oklahoma. So, I do think if he goes to one of those places, he stands a chance to make more money 
NIL-wise than he does in Norman. So it really just depends on where he wants to be, if he is just looking for the biggest payday, or if where he's actually playing and having a chance to win titles and conference titles and Heisman trophies means something, or if he just wants the money. Yeah, and and like you said, I know – in his recruiting, he was very high on Joe Brady. And so, like, to me, if he decides to go play for Lincoln Riley or go play for Joe Brady, a coach that recruited him heavily and really wanted him, and now that he's not playing for a coach that recruited him heavily, I mean, Brent Venables didn't have much to do in his recruiting when Clemson – and he even said that. He said Brent Venables always had energy when he was on Clemson's campus, but he was – he was the defensive guy. He wasn't always in those conversations with Caleb Williams. So he's not, and, and it doesn't sound like he had much contact with Jeff Levy in the recruiting process. If that's solely it and you want to go play with somebody, you know, and trust and already have that relationship with, I guess I can't really fault that. And I can't, like you said, you're allowed to do this, but it's that man, you played in the palace for a season. Now you single-handedly won OU Texas. But I also realize you went through a lot. You went through a lot. I mean, it, I, I wanted Caleb Williams. I did. And I'm not going to – I still do. If he decides to come back, great. I will be shocked if he stay, if he stays in, in Norman. Uh, to me, in his mind, he's probably already made up his mind he's going somewhere else. That's kind of why I was – how – and did Oklahoma already know this? Because that was a quick turnaround commitment for, for Dylan Gabriel. Very quick. So did Oklahoma kind of already know this was coming? Well, they that, already looking? That, I mean, that's something that I think, I think. I think they did. I think the coaching staff knew it was coming. I think Joe C. knew it was coming. I think they'd probably had the conversations that he was going to enter the portal, whether he left or not. I think they probably already had those conversations, but as respect to him and trying to keep him around, they're not going to come out and say anything until it's over, right? Until it's done. Um, I'll be shocked if he comes back to OU, especially knowing that the player that just transferred in is a Jeff Levy disciple and mm-hmm. has al- already been with Jeff Levy. Um it would shock me if he came back. I think if he comes back, he's still QB1. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that he beats out Dylan Gabriel if he comes back. Right. Um, but I'll, I'll be shocked if he does come back. And this probably doesn't affect OU much, but what's going to be real interesting is if he goes to Ohio State, if he goes to Georgia, what do those guys do? Yeah. Three really good quarterbacks. Yeah. Well, Stetson Bennett's a senior, right? I think he does have the COVID year. He can, he can play one more college year. Yeah, he does have the COVID year still if he wants it. Um, but you got JT Daniels. They have Brock Vandergrift mm-hmm. waiting in the wings. And they've also signed another quarterback this year that is on campus that is apparently a stud. I don't know him very well. I don't know much about him, so – I'm not even going to say his name, but you still got JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett, Brock Vandergriff. 
right? And you go to Ohio State, you got C.J. Stroud. I mean, C.J. Stroud just went 37 for 46 for 573 yards and six touchdowns in a three-point win in the Rose Bowl. Uh, you really – I mean, he going to go and there? he did and that without two of job? his best receivers for everybody that doesn't know. Right, right. I mean, is he going to go there and take C.J. Stroud's job? I don't know that he wants that competition, seeing what C.J. Stroud did this year. I, right. But that's if, – if he – Because what's your NIL money Stroud, look like? What's your NIL money look like if you go somewhere and you have to sit the bench? Ask Spencer. Yeah. Yeah, he got him a couple of nice cars. That's it. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm with you. NIL needs some stipulations. I I agree. I agree. I wouldn't really say those are things that piss Brandon off, but those are things that Brandon feels like need to really be looked at. And the transfer portal could really piss Brandon off in the future. If it continues to get out of hand. Touche. Touche. They get, the NCAA has got to look at it and has got to figure out some way to govern the, both of those things, being the transfer portal and the NIL. They have to govern them a little bit more. I understand why they did what they did and why, why those two things are in place now, but seeing how they're just getting run rampant through college football, they got to do something to kind of tone the situation down just a little bit. That being said... We're going to go ahead and move on, right? So let's move on, and let's talk about these New Year's Six Bowls, Dalton. Some really good bowl games. You know, the first one we'll talk about was the Fiesta Bowl. Um, crazy game between Oklahoma State and Notre Dame, where Notre Dame jumps out to a big lead and is up 28-7 to in the first half. Oklahoma State can't stop them on defense, can't really move the ball on offense, and then they go in at halftime and the roles reverse. And Notre Dame can't do anything on offense in the second half, can't stop Oklahoma State on on defense, and Oklahoma State just comes out and goes crazy. Comes down to the last, you know, possession or two was a crazy, crazy game. Spencer Sanders, who I've I've talked mess about for a long time, um, always mess though, huh? Accurate. I mean, you had every right to. Right, right. I mean, you know, I've said all year long, and even into last year, you know, just play Oklahoma State, you'll be fine because Spencer Sanders is going to give you the ball a couple of times, you know, and it just didn't happen this week. Like, Spencer Sanders, 34 for 51, completed 67% of his passes for 371 yards and four touchdowns, no picks, no fumbles running the ball. Like, he ran the ball for also 125 yards on Saturday. Just had a had a really good game and probably 80% of it coming in the second half when they were just absolutely dominant versus yeah. Notre Dame's defense. Big third quarter. Huge. 
17 points in the third quarter to take the lead by the end of the third quarter by three was just crazy. Held And their defense held Notre Dame scoreless. You know, I was over at Chief's house watching this game because Chief is a big Notre Dame guy, being from the Northeast. And at the end of the first half, he was like, oh, yeah, we this is awesome. We got this. And I, I told him, I looked at him, and I was like, look, don't sleep on Oklahoma State's defense. They weren't very good in the first half, but don't sleep on that defense. You could come out in the second half and score three points or seven points in the whole half. And he goes, oh, that ain't happening. We're rolling now. I was like, Oklahoma State's defense is good. You're going to have to be able to run the ball against their defense to be able to be any good. And that proved right in the second half. Notre Dame could not run the ball against Oklahoma State in the second half. And they ended up throwing the ball so much and getting in, you know, third and seven, third and eight, fourth and five situations and just couldn't dig out from underneath it when the time came. Yeah. I mean, when you look at his stats, he threw the ball 68 times. (laughs) I'm like, you better throw for 500 yards when you have only 42 rushing yards. Yeah. Yeah. But that's been my issue with Cone all year. I just haven't really felt like he's been able to be a winner. He's that guy that they're going to look back He's that he's that type of Landry Jones guy. You look back, his stats are going to be great, but when you actually watched his games, it's like you you just don't feel like he's that winner, that leader that can get you through some of these tough games. I mean, you blew a twenty-eight to seven lead, and I was thinking to myself because this is a game that I said, man, this this is going to be one of the most exciting bowl games of the New Year's Six. But then it's twenty-eight to seven, and we're looking at a potential blowout. And he can't finish. And I don't know if there was maybe some just they didn't make adjustments with the new coach. His his first loss that kind of sucks that his first loss comes off of a bowl game where they were up twenty eight to seven, blew a huge lead for his first game as a head coach. But yeah, and and if you listen to our last podcast, this is what we, especially Brandon said it was going to come down to. If Spencer Sanders does not turn the ball over, they'll have a chance. And you were banking on him to turn the ball over because that's what he's done. He's got 12 interceptions on the year. Is that what it is? Yeah. So, well, I mean, that's his MO. Like he'll have he'll have an interception or two. He'll fumble the ball once, getting sacked, or being careless with the ball while he's running. You know, he'll give you, you know, probably one and a half turnovers a game, it seems like. So I I just I didn't expect it. I thought Notre Dame was going to be able to get pressure on him, and they did in the first half. They were able to pressure him in the first half. Something happened in that locker room, and, you know, old business in the front, party in the back, Mike Gundy, you know, did something at halftime to motivate these guys, and their defense stepped up and their offense stepped up. It just clicked perfectly for him, and I I didn't expect it. I mean, I mean, to me, it's Spencer's best game all year combining himself for 496 yards sure absolutely i have no turn the ball over huge second half comeback it's his best game of the season um maybe is maybe his best game ever as a starting quarterback maybe the the bad news is you did it against notre dame who is not a great power five quote unquote so 
I mean, they're not a power five. Right. <laughs> they're nothing. No, what they're, are they? They're, I mean, I'm glad you won the Fiesta Bowl, but if, they're a no zero. I just, yeah, th- this is a peak for Oklahoma State. Man, doesn't Oklahoma State wish they could have had this game three weeks ago against Baylor? Because they may have been in that playoff against instead of Cincinnati. Yeah. But they'd have got killed by Alabama, too. So. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, Fiesta Bowl was really good. Fiesta Bowl was really good. Let's go ahead and move on to the Rose Bowl game now, Dalton. Rose Bowl game, another crazy game. Definitely. Yeah, this was my favorite game of the New Year's Six to watch. I, I agree. It, it was it was mine as well. Um, man, Utah jumps out to a 14 to nothing lead. At halftime, they're up 35-21. And then Ohio State did the same thing in the second half that Oklahoma State did. Ohio State comes out, and their defense only gives up 10 points in the second half, but their offense scores 27 points. C.J. Stroud went off in this game. 37 for 46 for 573 yards and six touchdowns with one interception. 15 of those receptions, 347 yards, an all-time bowl record record, an all-time <laughs> bowl game record. There you go. There we go. Let me spit it out, Junior. An all-time <laughs> bowl game record, 347 yards receiving, and three touchdowns go to Jackson Smith and Jigba, who was one of their, who was the only one of their three NFL caliber receivers to stay opted in for the bowl game with Olave leading and Wilson leading. Because he said he was going to the draft and opting out, and then he played. Yeah. Yeah. He decided, he decided he was going to stay. And I'll, I got, I'll be remiss if I don't bring this up. But I really felt bad for Cameron Rising late in that game. Absolutely. When, when he got hurt, I mean, that hit, man, he he got what I call starched, right? Where he got hit and both of his arms just went stiff laying on his back and they're sticking up in the air. He was out. He was out cold. And it was really – he got tackled and his head slammed into the ground. Like the back of his head hit the turf. Or the grass. I don't. I'm, I assume it's turf. I don't know what it is in the Rose Bowl, but uh, and so they had a quarterback come into the game that was a walk-on that had played like seven snaps all year, and they were all either kneel downs or handoffs at the end of games. So it was. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, the kid came in. What, what was that kid's name? Um, uh, Barnes. Yeah, Bryson Barnes came in. He goes two for two for 23 yards and a touchdown. And that touchdown pass he threw was brilliant. I mean, it was a beautiful pass back to the corner of the end zone. I was shocked. A great pass for one touchdown, but ends up just not quite being enough. Ohio State scores 17 points to Utah's seven in the fourth quarter to pull out the 48 to 45 victory. Dalton, tell me your thoughts on this game. It, 
you know, Rising's hit, when you look at the stats, Ohio State had one sack. And it wasn't on that hit that he took. Nope. It was early in the game, and it was a targeting. And that made me kind of think, like, man, not he took a targeting hit to the head. And then the dude battled through that all game. No telling if he was bothered by that, had a headache by that. But like you explained, it hits the ground really hard, goes numb. I fell for that kid, and I still do because he he was playing on a mission to beat Ohio State, and they, yeah. they had a chance to do it. Um, loved watching Barnes come in. He just looked so poised. He looked calm. He looked like he had been playing all year. The touchdown pass was a beautiful throw to the back of the end zone. Perfect. Led his receiver perfectly. Um, I mean, this is just a great game. But, of course, my favorite player of the game to watch was Njigba. That dude, it didn't matter if he caught it at the line of scrimmage or down the field. He was making something happen. And it got to the point he made it so easy for Stroud. Because Stroud just hit a point of con- – he didn't care if there were defenders in the area. He knew Jigba was going to come down with it. Not only that, though, he was so comfortable. He was putting it where only Jigba could come down with it. He only threw one interception through all of that and six touchdowns. It was a great game. It was one that you really thought at the first half, kind of like the Fiesta Bowl. Utah was going to win this thing. But, man, a very inspired second half, a 17-point fourth quarter. And and that's that's kind of how do you go take Stroud's spot? You can't to me. You can't if you're Ohio State. You can't give that up. No, no. I mean, what is Stroud a sophomore? Uh, that's a good question. He's either no. a sophomore, or junior. No, no. Because he kids are, kids are redshirt freshman. He played through COVID, didn't he? Though. He, right, so he gets that year back. Okay. But he was redshirted, so really he would be a junior, so he's a freshman right now. Yeah, so <laughs> he's got to – that means he's got to play one more year because they were yeah, talking wait, about – Wait, 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 wait. 2020? He had no stats in 2020. I'm looking at it now. No stats in 2020. Zero for zero for zero yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. So he, but he was on the roster, so he just didn't play. So it'd be the same thing. So he's a, I guess, sophomore next year. So he technically could go then to the NFL after next year. He has to play one more year in college. After next year. So Caleb would get one year. I, I, Caleb can't go to Ohio State. No. And you're talking about a game where if they played Oregon later in the year, they beat Oregon. I mean, that was a fluke game for them, in my opinion. They still scored 28. They fought. Defense couldn't stop Oregon somehow. Absolutely. High. And then um, where was their – the Michigan game. Obviously, Michigan was good, but – Michigan just out-bullied Ohio State that entire night. Yeah. Um, Michigan was better in the trenches in that game, which is what really made the difference right, on the right. offensive and defensive side of the ball. But C.J. Stroud still threw for almost 400 yards and two touchdowns. Problem was he was sacked four times. Because I Michigan, just don't. 
defense. I don't see Ohio State going away with Stroud at quarterback. They're going to still be a Big Ten contender and a playoff contender next year. Agree. Agree totally. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for me for the Rose Bowl. Anything else you want to add before we move on? Nope. Great game. All-State Sugar Bowl. What I thought was going to be the most exciting game of the weekend. What a dud of a game. It was I I it was the most boring game of any of them. 7 to nothing at halftime for Baylor. Like what in the world is going on? Matt Corral does get hurt in the second quarter. Um thank God it turns out to only be a sprain. Um a severe sprain, but it was only a sprain. We thought it might be broken or there might be some ligament damage there. It really is only a sprain. So Luke Altmeyer, I, th- I think Luke's his first name, right? Yeah, Luke Altmeyer comes into the game, goes 15 for 28 for 174 yards with one touchdown, but two interceptions. I mean, the kid hadn't really played all year. And what so sucked you- is his first interception came off of his first drive where he took Ole Miss all the way, all down, the way down the field, the field. and almost scored. Yeah. Yep. was inside that the 10-yard line. Like the, the two-yard the line or right in the end zone. Was the interception was in the end zone, wasn't yep. it? And the guy ran it out to like the five, which I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but, like, you got so excited you had to take four steps. Like, just fall down, dummy. But, yeah, I mean, the kid is a freshman. He is a true freshman. Coming into this game, he had thrown six passes, right? No, he had thrown three passes coming into this game. Altmeyer. That was the 96-yard pick, wasn't it? Because he has a 90 – he threw a pick six. I think his first interception was a pick six, and it was a defensive score, seven nothing Baylor. Because it was zero zero into the first. Hang on, I'll tell you. Yeah, it was zero zero into the first scoring plays. Yeah, you're right. 96 yard interception return. You're right. So it was on the four yard line. And then his other one was in the end zone. His other interception he threw was in the end zone. Which is he could. So he, he threw could get one the at the four the yard line and one in the end zone. He could get the ball down the field. He just couldn't finish. <laughs> yeah, and Ole Miss was having problems running the ball too. Um, Baylor's defense was good. I mean, we we faced their defense. Ole Miss only ran for 138 yards that game. Dill is. Baylor ran for 280 yards, Mm -hmm. 279 yards. I mean, you look at it, Jerry Bohannon, Baylor's quarterback, was only 7 for 17 for 40 yards. He averaged 2.4 yards an attempt. That is horrible. That is so bad. Unfortunately, 
the quarterback that everybody wanted to see in that game, Matt Corral, only got to throw six passes in that game because he went out early in the second quarter. So, I mean, very dud of a game. Wasn't exciting at all. Um, the To me, the story of the game, honestly, was Baylor had 10 sacks in that game. 10 sacks in one game. Yeah, that's, that's a the, lot. That's the story of the game, and that, that shows you why Ole Miss was only able to score seven points. You know, I was really looking forward to watching Matt Corral play that whole game uh, under Jeff Levy's offense, who's coming to Oklahoma. And Jeff Levy was still there calling this game. Yep. But it just – once he had to go to the freshman quarterback, I think the game plan kind of went out the window. Everything had to change a little bit. And it just did not pan out for Ole Miss. It was an ugly game all the way around. They only lost by two touchdowns, which is crazy to me because they just really, I felt like, didn't play that great. No, Baylor's mean- running game with Abram Smith, 25 carries for 172 yards, and their defense – Stuff in the run, 10 sacks, pressure on the quarterback like crazy is absolutely what won this game for him. Yeah, and the two interceptions were just detrimental just because of where they happened and how. The pick six, I mean, Baylor's offense only scored twice. Yeah. So you're talking a one-score game in the fourth without a pick six, or even if you just get a field goal there, it changes things tremendously. So Ole Miss fought with their backup, and they did some really good things. They just they couldn't protect him, and Baylor bent a little bit, but never broke. Yeah, no, you're you're right, you're right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's move on to. I'm not going to lie, a game that I watched zero snaps of. We're going to talk about the Citrus Bowl between the Iowa Hawkeyes and the Kentucky Wildcats. I, like I say, didn't watch any of this game. I will say that it looks like defensively, Iowa really got after Kentucky's quarterback, Will Levis. Had six sacks on him. He went 17 for 28 for 233 yards, one touch, one touchdown, one interception. I think the story of the game really was Iowa just giving the ball to Kentucky. Spencer Petrus, better known as Statue of Liberty, um, was only 19 for 30 for 211 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. He's a freaking statue that just doesn't move well. And when he gets pressure on, he just tries to throw the ball. You know, Iowa looked really good early on in the year. Um, Only lost two games in the regular season, but they were ranked number two at one point in the season. Mm -hmm. Iowa's just not really a good football team. They just don't have an offense that can produce points. Kentucky ends up winning the game 20 to 17, but – were you able to watch some of this game? What'd you think? I did watch some of this game, and it was exactly what we talked about watching Petrus. I was I was a little disappointed in Kentucky's offense. I 
I thought that they just weren't as aggressive as I thought they might be. There wasn't that fast paced tempo watching them that I thought, man, this is what hurts Iowa. I mean, if you can, you can at any point in the game, get up by more than one score. I think you've got Iowa beat because they don't have the offense that can come back on you. So they just kind of drop their level of play, their level of energy just kind of drops and they never quite got to that. They won the game. And I'm going to say they won because of Petrus and how, I mean, he's, he's just not a good quarterback to me and he's not, maybe he's a good locker room guy. Maybe he's fun to play with. Maybe he's a good leader on the, on the field, but his stats are terrible. He threw three picks. Threw for only 211 yards, 19 for 30, threw one touchdown. Kentucky won the game. I fully expected Kentucky to win by more. I mean, Kentucky moved the ball better against Georgia's defense than they did Iowa, it felt like. Yeah, I I can't argue with you. I mean, Iowa's offense all year has been their question mark. Um, I, I just don't think Spencer Petrus is a very good quarterback. I mean, I, I don't know that there's any other way to say it besides that. I'm just – I'm not a Spencer Petrus fan. I just don't think he's a very good quarterback. Yeah, honestly, pretty pretty boring game through and through. Yeah. I did watch a little bit of this next game we're going to talk about with the Outback Bowl. Um, just because I wanted to see K.J. Jefferson, see if he was healthy. You had Penn State versus Arkansas. Arkansas ends up winning 24 to 10. Um, Penn State was actually up at halftime, 10 to 7. But KJ Jefferson and that Arkansas Razorback offense put 17 points on the board in the third quarter and ended up salting this game away 24 to 10. You know, I I like KJ Jefferson. I feel like he's a athletic, fun kind of quarterback he didn't put up crazy numbers in this I mean he was all he was 14 for 19 for 98 yards no touchdowns and an interception like just not good numbers really he did rush 20 times for 110 yards and a touchdown and then Raheem Sanders had 13 rushes for 79 yards and two touchdowns that accounted for their three touchdowns that they scored all on the ground nothing through the air you know, Penn State ended up playing three quarterbacks in this game. Clifford, the big red dog, went 14 for 32 for 195 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Really, the other quarterbacks combined for three attempts the whole rest of the game and three yards. So I think that was just kind of towards the end of the game, putting them in. But you know, the funny thing is, and I, in watching him play this year for me, I didn't really see this as part of his game, but Sean Clifford was also the leading rusher with 46 yards rushing. That's that's a problem. That's just bad, right? So you barely end up with 300 yards of offense and you give up 353 yards rushing to Arkansas, who's top Four rushers all had more rushing yards than your leading rusher. Yeah. <laughs> just, just brutal. Not, it wasn't a very good game, honestly. I mean, Penn State was up at halftime, 
Arkansas comes back in the second half with 17 points in the third quarter. Yeah. Wasn't a very good game. Wasn't too exciting. I don't really need to spend a whole lot of time on it unless you have anything else you want to say about it. No, nah, Penn, Penn State had such a roller coaster of a year. Looked at times like they might be the best team in the Big Ten, but they're just they were close in some of these big games. This one example, they're up at half, but they got shut out in the second half. That ain't gonna do do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't win games getting shut out in the second half. And geez, you got they got ran all over. And that was probably the most exciting part of the game. Who was going to run the ball? Jefferson, Sanders, Johnson? Who knows? But when they right. do, they're, they're going to get five yards a carry. I mean, you look at Penn State's record, and four of their five losses going into this game were against top 12 teams. Michigan State was ranked 12th. Michigan was sixth. Ohio State was fifth. Iowa was third. But it seemed like they got that Indiana win. Then they went into Iowa and they went loss, loss, loss. Iowa, Illinois, which was horrible. We talked about that game several times, that nine overtime 20 to 18 game, which that's still the dumbest thing I've ever heard 20 to 18 and nine overtimes. But that's just the way the overtime rules are in moronic NCAA rules right now. And then Ohio State, they didn't get run out in any of their games. All their losses were fairly close. Ohio State was the biggest loss, and it was only a nine-point loss. So you really didn't know what Penn State had, but then Arkansas ended up you know, winning the game and doing their thing. So props to Arkansas. I'm done talking about it. Let's move on to some semifinal games. We got two semifinal games, and we're going to start with the first one, which came on first on TV at 2.30. Everybody just wished that a group of five team could be in the playoff, and they deserve to be in the playoff. They're going to get there, and they're going to give Alabama a run for their money. Dalton, a group of five team is never getting the benefit of the doubt again. I hope, and I hope not. This is by far the best group of five team I think we've ever seen. Right? Yeah. And they got ran out by Alabama. Alabama made them look dumb. They had three points in each half. Cincinnati's offense could do nothing. And I was shocked that Bryce Young threw 28 passes. Because those first two drives, Alabama, on their first drive, moved the ball, what was it, 12 plays, and 11 of them were rushes. And they moved the ball right down the field, six, eight, ten yards a pop, just cramming the ball down their throats. Brian Robinson had 26 carries for 204 yards. I mean, Alabama, Alabama just made Cincinnati look bad. They couldn't do it on offense. They could not stop the run game on defense. And I I really feel like Alabama could have rushed for 500 yards that game if they had not thrown the ball. I think they could have rushed by 500 yards and won by just as much, if not more. More. I mean, they ran for 301 yards. They didn't have a touchdown on the ground, which is crazy. 
They didn't have a touchdown on the ground, which that that is crazy to me. But they got close every time, and Bryce Young would make a play. Yeah. Ritter was not ready. Wasn't good enough to play in a game like this. Cincinnati wasn't prepared for a game like this. You can't play one team, and that team be Notre Dame, in the middle of your season and then get to a playoff game, be prepared to play the best team in college football over the past, what, how many years? I'd count them. I don't know. Ten? Two, yeah, at least. So, I mean, it, it, here, I mean here's, here's what I told you. During the game we were watching it, we were talking. I was like, this game is just way too big for Cincinnati. Way too big for Desmond Ritter. Way too big for those two, quote-unquote, best cornerback tandem in the country for Cincinnati, right? Way too big for Jerome Ford, who's had huge numbers all year long They're running back. Way too big for that defensive line of Cincinnati that's pushed everybody they played around. This game was way too big for them. And, we, and we way too this. big for any group of five teams. We talked about this last week specifically with Alabama. Doesn't This is the worst I think Alabama's looked in the middle of a season in a long time. But then we brought up the history of what they've done in the playoff, and it hasn't mattered other than their one bad game in the first round of the playoff. They haven't yep. had a close game yet. The closest game was 11 points, and it was Oklahoma – but there was a late touchdown by Oklahoma in that game. It wasn't 11 points. Yeah, that was, was a domination game. Alabama, they, they step up come SEC, come college football playoff. They step up into a different level that Cincinnati's not close to. I think they need to go play a season in the NFL and get brought back down to earth a little bit. Please. It, it's <laughs> insane. As long as, you don't put them in, as long as you don't put them in like the – conference with the jets and all those sorry teams because they might beat a couple of those teams. i don't know no they're not beating any of those teams those teams are so much better even yeah, the anybody that thinks so the much best team in college football could beat the worst team in the no NFL, way i will argue that all day long no way it's a totally different game it's a totally different game but the best team in the group of five can't ever will never beat the best team in the power five no. Never. So my question to you, and maybe there's not this year, because this was kind of a weird year. That's why a group of five team got in. Yeah. Is yeah, there well, I mean, it fell into place perfectly for Cincinnati to get in. It had to, or they would have never got in. I mean, is there another team? After watching it, because I, I wish we could have seen a better playoff game. Even the next game we're going to talk about, I wish Me we too. could have seen a better playoff game. Me too. But, would 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 the only the only thing I can think of because I don't know that necessarily throwing another team into this playoff who oh yeah I know but only thing I could have thought of was what we kind of talked about does the committee did the committee just not want to see another a, a rematch right away of George Alabama but would that have brought in better playoff games. Cincinnati, Michigan, George Alabama. Because if you if you think about it, the way they did the numbers, Georgia probably should have been fourth. 
if if it's all based off of numbers because if that's the case like if you disagree with me if that's the case then i would argue cincinnati shouldn't have been in at all well i, I here's here's the deal i think once everything panned out i think the committee felt like okay we're going to give the group of 5 a shot this one time and see what happens but at that point you can't move Cincinnati above Georgia. Okay, you so can't. my question my question is, does and I know this is all hypothetical, but say Georgia beats Bama. Because of the way things played out, Bama still probably would get in. Right? Are you no, putting the I Big 12 champion? Uh no, yes. I I I think Oklahoma State. And Cincinnati, or no, it would have been Baylor, or yeah, or Baylor, or Cincinnati, or Notre Dame, who only had the one loss to Cincinnati, who is in the top four, right? So that's a quote unquote good loss, right? Even yeah. though Cincinnati got drummed, right? I think I think Notre Dame that that's that's my pick. I think Notre Dame makes it in against instead of Alabama if Alabama loses the SEC title. We'll never know. No, it's all hypothetical. But I really think if that SEC game was a really good game and Alabama had a chance to win, but Georgia won, I really think that committee would have had conversations and might have even done it and put Alabama in the playoff. But at that point, it would have had to be a rematch because Georgia's your one seed, Alabama's your four seed. Would they have switched it if they said, all right, we're putting Alabama in, but we don't want to see a rematch, so we're just going to make Alabama a three seed so we don't see a rematch? I mean, at that point, though, if Alabama's best losses versus the number one team, I still think they move Alabama to three okay, and keep Cincinnati at four. I, I don't think you can put – I don't think, especially with one loss with Cincinnati, I don't think you can put – Oh no, uh, they were thirteen and zero, weren't they? Yeah, they already had their loss, so they're thirteen one. I I still don't think you can put Cincinnati with their only real win being over Notre Dame above an Alabama or a Georgia who plays in the SEC or a Michigan that plays in the Big Ten. I think Cincinnati, no matter if Cincinnati gets in, they're number four. Yeah, but see, to me, this year. Cincinnati wasn't good enough to get in because to me, if they would have been respected as number as 13 and zero group of five, they wouldn't have been the four seed. Well, they only got in because teams elsewhere had two losses. You're right. But that's easy to go back and say now, because we had this conversation before the final poll came out and we were both like, I mean, I think you got to put them in. You had to because right? of the other teams but, having four losses, but they weren't respected. And then Alabama no. disrespected them. Oh, well, I don't even think Alabama disrespected them. I think they just slapped them like the little pansies they are. And they proved that, like you said, a group of five team will, shouldn't ever get the benefit of the doubt again, especially if college fall playoff does not expand. Right. If it stays at four team, a group of five will never get in again. Which never makes makes the conversation even that that bothers me with the Notre Dame possibly getting in because the Notre Dame, your best team you're playing outside of a Cincinnati is a USC who this year had four lot or what were they? Four and seven. They were five and seven, five and seven. Like 
Coshaw playoff brought up so much conversation this year because of what Alabama did in the regular season and then how they just dominated a group of five team that a lot of people really thought were, were going to compete. And I, I wanted them to. I wanted to see a better game. I didn't want to see 27 to 6. Yeah, me too. But if the playoff doesn't change, it needs to stop going off of maybe maybe the losses and maybe who we actually know will compete a little bit better. And this year, I don't know that maybe they maybe they didn't have a choice. Yeah, but, I mean, so many teams with two losses this year. I don't I don't know what you do honestly. Like I, I don't know, I don't know this, how you handle that. I'll I'll say this now that like you we've said all year long they only specifically you they only had to get it right one time. But now and we I both felt this, like they did. Now that I watched the games, though, makes me think maybe we need to start getting it right a little earlier than that and and really watching, okay, you lost this game and your record's worse than Cincinnati, but who's going to compete better? Who's actually a better football team? Because we need to start comparing conferences a little bit more, I think. Well, but... Strength of schedule that's, has to be important. You're right, but that's that's hard. That's really hard to do because so many so many of these teams don't have like opponents. So it's really hard to say who's the better team out of uh, Michigan State or you know I'm just throwing teams out there, but a Michigan State or an Oklahoma State. Neither one of them played the same people. You can look at their stats, and both of their stats may look really good, but it's still hard to look at and be like, oh, well, you know, Oklahoma State's the better team. And then Spencer Sanders throws four turnovers, throws four interceptions, and fumbles twice. And you're like, oh, well, Oklahoma State sucks. You know, or the same with Michigan State. You know, I mean, so it's, it's really hard to just say, oh, well, this team's better than that team, even though the records don't show that. But my argument to that is your number five team, the first team out this year, had not a single ranked win. Almost lost to some teams with terrible records. That's your first team out. If Cincinnati has one loss, even though they beat Notre Dame, the committee is saying with the final rankings that Notre Dame would have been our fourth seed. You're telling me Notre Dame's still better than Ohio State, even though Ohio State didn't win the Big Ten? No. Obviously, they're not better than Oklahoma State. Didn't even win the Big but, Ten. But I, but I don't feel like you can call Notre Dame a Power 5 team. I don't, I don't either. Feel, so I don't, I don't feel like they're in the mix, really. But that's my problem with the, with the committee. They, so, they put them at five. No, I mean, you're right, but does it matter if you're five or you're eight? You're not in the playoff. They're at first that, at one that point, in. it doesn't I, matter. They should be first one in, technically, if something changed. So, I mean, if someone farts and blows out a bow, they're going to invite Notre Dame to the playoff? Or what? But that's my problem. No, with, they're not. It's saying. not They've got to start so, getting all of it right. It's... I think that their rankings earlier in the year affect what they do later. I think they do. So, 
Here's what I'm going to say. Until it moves to 12 or 16, whatever they end up moving it to, we're going to have the same complaint every year. Once it moves to 12 and gets expanded and we're allowed more leniency or more leeway on who actually gets in or not, then you're, if it goes to 12, you're not going to have an argument if you're not in the top 10 or the top 12 of getting in, in my opinion. If you can't be in the top 10 in the country, you don't deserve to be in. Yeah. Right? But, and if it goes to 16, if you can't be in the top 15, you don't deserve to be in. Like, that right. 16th place team is lucky. So if you're 18th and you're left out, or you're 13th and left out of a 12-man pool, then whatever, you should have been better. Because there's not going to be, I mean, we look at the rankings, or we look at the schedules, and the final schedules this week, and you have one, two, three, only three teams in the top 15 that have one loss. Right? You can't have one loss, two losses. There are one, two, three, four teams in the top 15 with three losses. And one team in the top 15 with four losses. And that's Oregon. If you can't be without one or two losses and make it into the top 10, you don't deserve to be in. So I think once it expands, I think this conversation kind of becomes a little new. Right? We're not going to be able to have this conversation and be like, oh, well, you know, did this team deserve to be in? No. If you're not ranked in the top however many, you don't deserve to be in. With there only being four, it's easy to argue and say, and it's easy to have opinions and say, well, Cincinnati shouldn't have been in. Notre Dame shouldn't have been in. Should Ohio State have jumped four spots up to number three and Georgia moves down one to number four? It's, it's too easy to say now. Once we move it to 12, once they actually expand, which they're still not saying when they're going to, but once it actually expands, I think it's going to. But once it does, then this will be a lot easier to manage, even throughout the whole season, I think, like you're talking about, getting it right, you know, from week nine, like they when they started, you know, or whatever. Um I think even earlier in the season, they'll be able to get it closer to right than they're able to do now with just four teams getting it. And I guess it's at least worth pointing out the group of five teams that have been in the conversation are about to be in the power five because they're going to the big 12. That's right. So that might change things completely. And there might not be another power five team. We're really having to worry about talking about soon. Who knows? I mean, group of five. Yeah. Or a group of five, sorry. So yeah. with Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati all going to the Big 12 soon, it might not even be a conversation. Yeah, may not. May not. Well, let's move on. I mean, we kind of got off the topic of Alabama and Cincinnati there for a little bit. But let's go ahead and move on to the Capital One Orange Bowl, semifinal number two, which was oh. just an S show as well. Yeah. Like Georgia just jumped all over Michigan in the first half. And at halftime, they're up 27 to three and just kind of coasted, 
you know, in the second half to a 34-11 win. Man, I mean, you say Georgia should have dropped down to the number four spot. If we're doing it right, Georgia's got to be the number two team, and it doesn't matter anyways, right? Because I don't think we're trying – I don't think – I don't think we're trying to make the best semifinal games possible. I think we're trying to make the best championship game possible, right? I'm, I guess so. Right? To me, it's just this if is you, where you should be. This is where you finish. This is where you are. If that means the playoff games are better, great. If that means the championship, but. But, but look at the four teams that were in the playoff. Can you really say you feel like Georgia should have been the fourth team? After the way they lost to Bama, before they beat Michigan the way they did, we didn't. We both picked Michigan. Yeah, I, I, you're right. So, yeah. Now, after, it's easy to say, no, of course they deserve it. They're the number two team. Okay, I mean, but, did, but, did, but did, maybe we overreacted from the Alabama loss. Because Georgia has been so dominant all year. Obviously. But to see them not be dominant was just like a huge overreaction on my part. I'll I'll say it was just like, oh, well, crap. Maybe they're not very good. It's, I don't think it was that they're not very good. It's that they're not on, they're not on out. They're they're not the number one team in the country. The number one team in the country, it's, it's like, it's like the NBA. It's the, the best team in the NBA doesn't care about the regular season. The number one team in college football this year, they weren't prepared all year long. They weren't worried about losing one game. They weren't lur- worried about until maybe late in the fourth quarter uh, against LSU about losing to LSU because they knew they had they had that experience. When, they, when it comes go time, when it comes time to finally get to that SEC title game, when it comes time to get to the – obviously the college football playoff, we're a different team. Yeah, Nick Saban can talk all day long about making sure his team is prepared for every single game. They almost blew it to Florida. We thought they got lucky and won. They they obviously lost to um out uh, to A and M. So, I mean, they we thought they should have lost Florida. They lost A and M. We thought they were gonna lose to LSU. They beat LSU. And Nick Saban talks all day about, well, I'm, you know, everybody, Nick Saban gets his team ready for every game. I don't think he prepared his team for every game this year, but it, it made, it made Bryce Young have to grow up in certain areas because late in the fourth quarter, he had to find a way to win. Yep. You're right. And then come playoff time, Nick Saban got to work, prepared his team for who we thought was the best team ever in college football. Yeah. And they dominated. Yeah. You're right. But, one one thing that I said going into this Georgia Michigan game is I don't know that Stetson Bennett's good enough. I said the same thing because he Man. hasn't been all year long. Did he make us look dumb or what? He had a really he had his his best game of the year in my opinion. Yeah, it's like Michigan came out and said we're gonna let Stetson Bennett do whatever the hell he wants. We're gonna let Stetson Bennett look like Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> dude was running, dude was throwing. It didn't matter. Yeah, he ran. He had 32 yards rushing. He was 20 for 30 for 313 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. 
it was it was just an S show from Michigan. Like Michigan yeah. could do nothing. Michigan, they end up passing for 237 yards, got a little bit going in the fourth quarter, but it was way too little too late. I mean, this game shouldn't have been as close as it was because it was just uh, it was just a Georgia domination. You know, Michigan scores with four minutes and 25 seconds left. At that point, they were down 34 to three. They score with four minutes left in the game on a 35-yard touchdown pass from J.J. McCarthy. And then they go for two to just make it look a little bit more respectable and not that that's going to do anything when you're down by 23. So, I don't know, Georgia dominated. I I really think we have the best two teams in the national championship game. I I think they're the best two teams in the country. Georgia was the best team in the country all year long going into that SEC championship game. I don't know that anybody argued that. Even, you know, ESPN guys and sports talk radio guys were all talking about how Georgia was the best team in the country going into the game. And their defense was just so dominant that it was hard to see anybody putting up points like Alabama did on them. That being said, moving on to the national championship game that comes up Monday night, we have a rematch of the SEC championship game. We have Georgia, the number three seed, 13 and one, versus Alabama, the number one seed, 13 and one, in the CFP national championship game in Indianapolis, Indiana. Game time weather is going to be 17 degrees. It doesn't matter. They're playing in the dome. So it'll be, <laughs> it'll be nice and warm inside. I don't even know why they put that on here. It's pretty funny to me. Uh, but uh, odds from Caesars has Georgia as a two and a half point favorite. How? I disagree 100% with that. How? How? How is Georgia a two and a half point favorite going into this game? I. I I don't know. Maybe they feel like Georgia's seen enough from Alabama now. They've seen what they have to go against, and they can come out in this game and do it different than before. I don't know. Over-unders at 52 in this game. I mean, even after the Alabama beatdown by Georgia – or even after the Georgia beatdown by Alabama – Georgia's still not giving up 10 points a game on offense, right? But Alabama's scoring 41 points a game on offense. Something's got to give. Has Georgia seen it long enough in that SEC championship game to figure it out? They, they better play more pissed off. They have to, right? If they don't, we're going to see a very boring national This is your chance. This is your chance to shut everybody up. Yeah. After everybody talked about, myself included, best defense I've ever seen, blah, 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 I'm a dirty, whatever. Um, Everybody talks about that and talked about it up until that SEC championship game, and then Georgia crapped the bed and Alabama just did whatever they wanted in that game. Hopefully Georgia's figured it out, in my opinion. I mean, I, I want Georgia to win that game. I'm tired of seeing Alabama win the national championship and 
see that smug little punk on their sideline with zero personality looking like the clown statue over at the side of the I don't know. I'm not even going to go. Anyway, <laughs> I can't stand Nick Saban if you didn't figure that out. All you people out there in listener land. Oh, can't stand Nick Saban. Nick Saban and Bill Belichick hold a special place like in the very back of my very black heart. I can't stand them. <laughs> Don't look at me like that, Dalton. <laughs> Either one of those guys I care for. Um, so, I mean, what do you think happens in this game, Dalton? Like, get, give me your breakdown of the national championship game. I'm not – I I can't. I, I can't tell you that I think Georgia's going to come out and do anything special. I wish they would. I hope it's a great game. But Michigan's not the level that Alabama is in the playoffs. I, Jim Harbaugh, that was his first opportunity leading a team into the playoff, and they sucked. Georgia would have beaten either Cincinnati or Michigan in that game. But there's something about them playing Alabama in a national title game. They can't do it. They couldn't do it with a backup QB and Tua when Tua took over and won in the fourth quarter against Georgia. I don't see this being much different than the SEC title game. I struggle to see it that way. Do I want it to be that way? Yeah. But there wasn't enough. We saw Stetson Bennett play really well against Michigan, who's shown to be good defensively. McNamara's shown to be a really good quarterback at times, but they've also been the opposite of that at times. I mean, they almost lost to Nebraska. They blew a... Huge halftime lead and fourth quarter lead to Michigan State. Yeah. They they killed Ohio State in the trenches like we talked about, but Georgia, Georgia was better than the Big Ten. Georgia's the second best team in the country, obviously, and we've talked about the rankings and all that. They, they proved that. But I don't see the national title game being much different. I I know you don't like Nick Saban, but I see him staying on top. Wait, wait. Well, what did you just say? Georgia is definitely the what? They proved they're the second best team in the country. Like four minutes ago, you were wanting them ranked number four going into the playoffs. Ranked number four, yeah. They should have been ranked number four. My, tell me why you think they're the second best team in the country. Tell me why Georgia was number three. I mean, whether they're number two, I think they're number three because the committee didn't want people to think, oh, we're favoring the SEC. We're only moving them down to number two. That bothers I think me. Moving, I, I do too, but I think moving them to number – I think they felt like they were probably number two, but they wanted to move them to number three – because Alabama kicked their tails, you're welcome, Mom. Um, they weren't moving them to number four. Cincinnati's not being ranked ahead of either of these three teams like we talked about. But I think they were only number three because they felt like people were going to complain that they were SEC biased if they put them number two. 
But to me, that helps my point saying that Cincinnati just, they just threw Cincinnati in there. They didn't really feel like Cincinnati deserved it. I'm not saying they did. Because but, if, if you're going to say, but if you're going to say that, then you're going to say with their number five pick, that's the team that should have been in. We obviously have a problem with that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I, have, I have a problem. I honestly with, yes, have a problem, have a with, problem their with the committee and the way they rank things. I, I do too. But when there's human element involved, we're going to have that every time. That's and why after, this expansion but watching, needs to happen sooner than later. Like, I wish I could say now, I think they got it 100% right. But like you just said, they felt like they couldn't put Georgia above of Michigan because they didn't want to favor the SEC. They're obviously going off of feeling some. It's not just pure record and schedule and all that stuff. Then they better – they need to just go off feelings a little more. To me, we've known it forever that – a group of five team can't compete consistently in the, in the playoff with uh, even though you UCF claims a national title, they beat a, an, a team in, in Auburn that didn't play a full strength of players. They had guys opt out when UCF won. But if, if it's off a pure record, then you have to look at the team's losses that are in Georgia by far had the best loss. They should have been number two anyways. Okay, so then why did they not go number two? Because the committee felt like people were going to be pissed if they had two SEC teams. See, my two. problem is either way, if, if you're going to go off you're right. of – You're right. They shouldn't have been three. To me, they, they're, either you, they're either the second best team in the country still or because of how you're ranking things and we, we're putting a group of five in because of what they've done this year, they should still be ahead because they're conference champ – and they're undefeated. Why did you put a two-loss conference champ ahead of Georgia? <laughs> yeah, you you can't you still can't put Cincinnati. You still can't put Cincinnati. Ahead you put of them in the playoff regardless. Well, they're in the playoff, but they're number four. So then you shouldn't be in. The, then then we should have <laughs> never even had them in the playoff. Like I'm I'm starting to piss myself off. <laughs> Things that piss Dalton off himself. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm getting worked up over this because no. the more now that we've seen the playoff games and how it's played out and what the rankings actually were, I, I disagree with them. And I think the committee, everything we're saying, if I could talk to the committee, I'd say just – Add freaking teams in the playoff because then, you, like you said, you can't have – if you put 10 teams or 12 teams in, there's no more if, – if you can't have a one or two loss season win your conference or playing your title game, you're not in anyways. Right. Okay, so let, let me ask you this. Let, let's do this. I mean, we've talked about the Georgia-Alabama game. We kind of know what's going on there. We'll make our picks here in a minute, right? But let, let's do this first, okay? You tell me – after all the bowl games, right? All we have left is a national championship game. What would your, knowing what we know now, knowing what we know now, what's the top four teams in the country? Including opt-outs, like including people in the transfer portal, or just after the games we just watched? After all the games we just watched, the teams that played, 
right? So we'll count the team for the whole year. Forget opt-outs and all that okay. kind of stuff. What, when they were at full strength, what's your top four? It's not as easy as you think, is it? It's, it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. If you're telling me to account for everything that's happened and everything we've seen, there's the the with Lincoln Riley gone and that offense playing freely, that Oklahoma team's a top four team. You can't convince me not. They're going to put up points. Caleb Williams was free. That offense was free. I think that Ohio State they can they if they're a top four team, they're not only playing without with with just. Smith and Jigba, they're playing with Wilson and the other guy, Alave. And then you have Georgia and Alabama. I mean, that, I th- after I think, everything, that's my top four. I think you have Alabama, Georgia. Who's your top four? Who 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 is better? Is Baylor? Is it Baylor? I mean, Baylor and Oklahoma State both beat OU. Right, but you said after everything that's just happened, Oklahoma played in a bowl game without a coach who wasn't there all year anyways. But Oklahoma State and Baylor both won their bowl games too. Oklahoma's- but again, everything that's happened. Notre Dame is not a, a Power 5 team. Oklahoma State's win? don't Cool, you won. Awesome. If Oklahoma State would have beaten Baylor, that's a different story. I'd feel a little differently about Oklahoma State. But that's, like I said, a peak for Oklahoma State. Baylor. But Notre Dame was a one-loss team coming into that. Oregon was a three-loss team coming into it. And Oregon had been waxed in their last two games by Utah. Yeah, a team that went head-to-head with Ohio State to the last minute and a team that uh, Oregon But you, you said 20 minutes ago if, if Oregon had played Ohio State halfway through the season, it would have been a totally different ballgame. It would be still. I'm not disagreeing with that. And it's not negating but my you can't argument. Credit him for it now when you were talking about well, if they'd have played. You said Oregon everything would... that's happened. <laughs> everything that's happened. There's not. There's that's that would be my top four after because if if Lincoln Riley would have been gone long before and they said Bob Stoops you're the interim guy for the rest of the year, Oklahoma doesn't lose to Oklahoma State and Baylor because they they played passionate in that game, even defensively, even defensively Oklahoma played with passion. Though Graham sucked, we forget that Graham was coached and, and a linebacker all year, and then they moved him to corner for the last game, and he was terrible. So, yeah, I, I mean, I still think that Oklahoma's a, the better team after what we just watched. That offense that we saw, and we've talked about it, that offense we have saw, if they were playing like that more consistently all year and had that freedom and that flow and they, they game planned, Maybe they don't blow the lead. To, I mean, shoot, we finally I, let just, Marvin Mims I'm, return punts. I'm just not convinced that our that OU's defense was worth the number four team in the country, even at this point. I mean, they played great in the first half, but they gave up a lot of crap in the second half and really looked fairly bad in the second half. In my opinion. let's be honest, Oklahoma's defense wasn't worth crap when they lost to Georgia in the 2018 Rose Bowl. Wasn't worth crap when they got killed to Alabama in the playoff. Wasn't mm-hmm. worth crap when they got killed to LSU in the playoff. But their offense put enough points, and they won the Big 12. And I think that because of everything that happened after this now, because of what we saw with Lincoln Riley gone, 
Caleb Williams playing with his leadership with the offense, not bailing on the run game. The offense would have put up more points, would have been able to finish a game against Oklahoma State, would have played more passionate against Baylor. It changes things completely. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. It changes things. I don't disagree. And Oklahoma is a different team without Lincoln there um, because Lincoln had one foot out the door already. So so you're asking me if I think Oklahoma's a better team than Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Baylor, after this all played out? Yeah, Baylor, Baylor did not play well in their bowl game. And if Matt Corral is healthy for that entire bowl game, I'm not sure they beat Ole Miss. No, I agree with that 100%. I agree with that 100%. I just we know. just didn't see an inspired OU team or an, a passionate OU team other than maybe the second half of Texas, a little bit of TCU because we finally got Caleb Williams to start, and then the bowl game. Yeah. Okay. I mean, fair enough. I mean, like. You know, it's easy to go back and look at it and say, oh, well, this is what I would have done now. You know, after all the bowl games and everything, the committee didn't have that luxury of seeing the bowl games played before they created the Final Four, because obviously that's part of the bowl games. While I'm on this of things that that piss me off, though, speaking of the bowl games, I want to ask you this. (laughs) Do you think it's time to also switch from going with a month off, a month break? I mean, in Cincinnati and Michigan's defense, they were playing really good football going into these. And then everybody has – you have to wait a month. You get a small little break. You come back to practice. It it, it doesn't make sense to me to play all year long, every single week except for your one, maybe two bye weeks, and then go for a month without playing the biggest game of the year. Yeah, I I do. I do. But I, I don't think that change comes until the playoffs. Okay. Once once the playoffs expand and we go to twelve, and so you have three rounds of playoffs or whatever, I you know you go twelve to what twelve to eight really, and then eight to four, four to two, two to one. So you have four extra games or four extra weeks, and I think you end up with one week off and you go right into it. I think. The way it's done now is just because they want the national championship game to be the last game. Um, but maybe they could play the semifinal game two weeks out and then give these teams, you know, a couple extra weeks to prepare for the national championship game instead of just one week. I, I don't know. I don't really know what the answer to that is with the 14 playoff. But once it moves to the 12 or the 16 team playoff, there's not an issue there because they're going to have to start it earlier unless they want to play into the middle of November or into the middle of February. Excuse me. Yeah. I mean, they played Georgia, Alabama, Georgia game was on December 12th with, with all the other conference title games and they didn't play again until the 31st. Right. Right. I mean, they had four weeks off basically. That's that to me, that's too much. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I guess that three weeks off. Sorry, that three weeks off. But yeah, it's it's too much. I think I think you take a week off once the twelve team playoff or the sixteen team playoff gets here. I think they take a week off after the conference championship games, and then they play that third week of December. So they'll play the third, 
fourth week of December, first week and second week of January, you have your national championship. So I think I think that's just solely to make the national championship the last memory you have of college football that year. And unfortunately, that's just kind of how it works. But I'm I'm with you on that. It, it is it does seem like too long to be able to play. But you also can't put – well, I mean, you can because that happens every week in the regular season. But you don't want to put all these different games battling each other network-wise and time-wise into two weekends at the end of December. And then you don't get to watch all the bowl games because I've really enjoyed watching a bunch of bowl games. If they all happened in a two-week period – there's no way I could have watched as many of them as I've watched so far. All right. Well, that kind of wraps up everything except our picks of the week. So what I'm going to have you go ahead and do, Dalton, is just give us a quick rundown of last week. We only had one game different. So – you really don't even have to talk about the other games. We had one game different last week, and all the other games we picked the same. So go ahead and give it to us, and then we're going to move on to the national championship game picks. Yeah, the only game different we had was Oklahoma State-Notre Dame. Notre Dame was a two-point favor at at the start of the game, and, man, they were rolling. We talked about it 28-7. to You picked Notre Dame. I picked Oklahoma State. looked like you might be getting that win thankfully Oklahoma State came back Spencer Sanders didn't turn the ball over they won the game outright uh, I got the win and that gives me a 36 to 35 lead I have a one-point lead going into the national title game all right I, but I I mean I'm gonna pull a Jim Traber for those of you that aren't from Oklahoma City you know what Jim Traber you don't know what Jim Traber is but I'm gonna tell you I picked Notre Dame to win that game, but I said if Oakland, if Spencer Sanders can keep from turning the ball over, they have a chance. So, I mean, I, I was right really in both senses. <laughs> he didn't turn the ball over, so they had the chance, and they ended up barely winning. That being said, going into the national championship game, coming up on Monday, Georgia is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Dalton, I'm going to make you go first because you're winning and it might change my pick because I want to at least try to tie you if I can. I'm going to tell you right now, I already have my mind made up on what I'm picking. And so if you pick that side, I'm picking that side as well and you win as of today. So I'm just telling you now. We're picking total points as well, right? Well, if there's a tie. Okay. If if we end up tying, then we will go to total points in the national championship game. But if you pick on the same side as what I'm going to pick, then I will concede to you right now. So I am giving you the floor. Georgia is favored by two and a half. What do you got? I'm taking Alabama plus two and a half and total points. I'm going to say 65. 
Yeah. Well, I'm going back to my very first week of the season. Very first podcast we ever did. I knew it. I picked Georgia to win the SEC, fail. It's okay. And to win the national championship, yet to be seen. I think Georgia had their one cluster F of a game, just like Alabama did against Texas A&M. I think they both show up with complete intensity. I think Georgia wins this game. I'm going to say Georgia wins this game 34 to 31. So that's going to put my total at 65. What was your total? 65. You suck. Okay, I got to change mine then. <laughs> um, that is hilarious. Okay, I'm going to say Georgia wins 37-34. Okay. So that puts my total at 71. Yep. I, 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 think, I think Georgia's going to pull it out. And honestly, I don't think Alabama's going to – I do. I'm I'm changing my total. Hang on. Because I don't think Alabama's going to score that many. I'm going to go back to Georgia 34. And Alabama's 27. So I'm going to go, my total is 61. 34, 27, Georgia. My total is 61. Georgia's going to win the national championship. Brandon's going to be right on the score, and Brandon's going to win the Midweek Mayhem Locks of the Week contest. Your total is 61 points, correct? 61. Yeah. I like it. I like that we're different. And honestly, at the end of the day, I just really hope this is a freaking good game. I do too. I do. And that, I mean, that's it. I mean, it, it would be really cool for my very first podcast prediction to come true with Georgia winning the national championship this year being the one year they were able to dethrone Alabama. Um, but ultimately, I want to see a game that comes down to the last possession. I want to see one team have to drive and go score a touchdown or score a field goal to win, and I just really want to see a good game. The semifinal games we had were trash, mm-hmm. and I just don't want to see that in the national championship game. Go dogs! I'm not going to say it because I don't want to say what I people say. I know you're so. not. That's why I said go dogs. I guess I know I'll say Boomer Sooner. I don't know. I know you ain't going RT. <laughs> well, Dalton, this has been a really fun season. We will have one more podcast next week. We'll go over this stuff. And let me just tell the people out there, we've yet to decide what we're going to do in the off season. We've kind of talked about some different things. We may, you know, just, uh, throw a podcast out every couple of weeks, just talking about things that are going on. We also have talked about maybe doing some different topics about college football, like maybe making our own top 10 list of certain players, positions, or teams of all time or whatever. Give us some ideas if you're out there listening. Let us know what you think, what you would like to hear in the offseason. Dalton's a really big basketball guy. 
He is a high school basketball coach. He's coached in the college ranks as well, played in the college ranks. I'm just not as big of a basketball guy as I am a football guy. So we talked about doing a little bit of that, maybe mixing a little bit of stuff in. We're just not sure what's going to happen. We do know we will have one more podcast next week, and then we're going to kind of play it by ear and see what happens from then on out. But Dalton, you know what they say, right? I do. All right. Thank you for answering. (laughs) The (laughs) The midweek is good. No. That is not what they say. (laughs) You got me all clustered. Okay, let's try this again. Dalton, you know what they say, right? Yes. The weekend is good, but that midweek, it is always better. <laughs>